to bring a couple things to our attention before we pray, before we look to God's Word. Uh, I was speeding preaching this morning, but I didn't get pulled over for a ticket. I'm going to make the manuscript of what I preached, the printed uh, outline, available as a handout through the church office if you'd like to uh, get that. It'll be available tomorrow. Then I'd also like to mention that uh, January 17th, uh, Dr. Larry Moyer will be with us on a special Bonanza Sunday for evangelism. The morning uh, will encourage each of you to invite a lost person to the January 17th morning service. Uh, Dr. Moyer will be preaching evangelistically to the lost, and um, we're prayerfully considering which neighbor that we can invite to be with us that special day. In the evening service of January 17th, Dr. Moyer will be teaching the incredible body of Christ, believers, uh, how to overcome fear in evangelism, and uh, that'll be a wonderful opportunity. So I hope that you'll make it on your calendars a special Red Letter Sunday, the 17th, to invite the lost in the morning and to make special point to attend the Sunday evening service of the 17th for training. Then with uh, January 31st, we have three persons wanting to be baptized as believers. Uh, that's wonderful. And we believe there are others that need to be baptized since conversion. And please speak to me or one of the pastors about that need in your life to obey Christ in the waters of baptism. January 31st will be the next baptism, God willing. February 7th, the first Sunday in February in the evening, I'm going to be doing another Bible question and answer. Always enjoy your questions, and it helps me to learn when you ask me questions. And so if you could submit your questions by phone or note or email, uh, WhatsApp, whatever you want to do, and I'll be happy to try to seek answers for you from the Bible for your questions for February the 7th. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we come now to your word, we pray that you would teach us by the Holy Spirit who wrote it, that Jesus Christ would be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name together, amen. Is Israel guilty of unbelief? Uh, you know, human responsibility in many places is going the way of the dinosaur. Humorist Will Rogers quipped, there are two eras of American history, the passing of the buffalo and the passing of the buck. <laughs> Listen to these actual statements that insured parties made on their insurance forms after accidents, actual statements. The other car collided with mine without giving warning of its intentions. I collided with a stationary truck coming the other way. A pedestrian hit me and went under my car. The guy was all over the road and I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. As I approached the intersection, a sign suddenly appeared in a place where no stop sign had ever appeared before, and I was unable to stop in time to avoid the accident. These are, these are literal statements, passing the buck. To avoid hitting the bumper of the car in front of me, I struck the pedestrian. My car was legally parked as it backed into the other vehicle. An invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car, and vanished. <laughs> I was sure the old fellow would never make it to the other side of the road when I struck him. The pedestrian had no idea which direction to run, so I ran him over. I saw a slow-moving, sad-faced old gentleman as he bounced off the hood of my car. 
The indirect cause of the accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. <laughs> I was thrown from my car as it left the road. I was later found in a ditch by some stray cows. The telephone pole was approaching. I was attempting to swerve out of its way when it struck my front end. These folks are not taking responsibility. They are blaming others. They are blaming telephone poles. They are blaming anybody but themselves. Yes, human responsibility in many quarters in America and in the Bahamas and in the world is going the way of the dinosaur. And we come to Romans chapter 10 tonight, and we want to see together, was Israel guilty of unbelief? Is Israel guilty of unbelief still? God himself places the responsibility for Israel's lostness on Israel's sin. And so the simple answer to the question of the title, is Israel guilty of unbelief? The simple answer is yes, but God expands that to help Jews understand this and to help us Gentiles this evening to understand it. You know, really, we have a ticking package put in our laps when we receive the gospel by which we are saved. It is a ticking package, the gospel is. Tick, 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 tick. Something has to be done with the gospel once it lands in our laps. We can't just ignore it. We can't just file it away. We can't just store it in a locker. Something has to be done with the gospel when we receive it. In the first place, we either have to respond to the gospel in faith or reject it in disbelief. That is level one of human responsibility. In the second place, once we have placed our faith in Christ alone for salvation, we have to pass the gospel on to others. It's our obligation. That's level two, human responsibility. Put another way, level one human responsibility is rooted in the uniqueness of who Jesus is. We have to respond to his uniqueness. If you look back to Romans 10, verse 9 with me, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. When you say, when we say, that Jesus is Lord, we are saying that he shares in God's name, nature, holiness, authority, and eternality. When you say, and I say, Jesus is Lord, we are saying that Christ shares in God's name, nature, holiness, authority, and eternality. Level two of human responsibility is rooted in the uniqueness of the plan of salvation. Level one of human responsibility is rooted in the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Level two of human responsibility is rooted in the uniqueness of the plan of salvation. And so my born-again brothers and sisters this evening, there is no other way to heaven. Do we believe that? Do we believe that there's no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ? Yes, we do. What is the implication of that belief? That nobody gets to heaven except through Jesus Christ. What is the rubber to the road, everyday practical implication of that belief? We must evangelize the lost. 
A man who lived beside an evangelical Christian for many years, eventually the Christian, after many years, shared the gospel with him. And the man said, the lost neighbor said, do you believe that I'm going to hell without your Jesus? Yes, I do. Then why has it taken years for me to tell me about Jesus? The gospel is a ticking package that's been placed in each of our laps. We must do something with it. Please look at Romans 10, verse 13. This is by way of review. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a quote of Joel chapter 2 and verse 32. And do you know what that assertion logically means? It's, this is what it means. That whoever will not call upon the name of the Lord will not be saved. If whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, then the corollary of that truth is whoever will not call upon the name of the Lord will not be saved. Jesus agreed. He made the outlandish, narrow comment in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ said that, and he meant it. And so the Jews back then had human responsibility, and the Jews this evening still have human responsibility to believe the gospel by trusting Yeshua Messiah Christ for their salvation, and then they will have the secondary responsibility to share the gospel with as many persons as possible the same responsibility we Gentiles have. And so tonight's sermon focus is on verses 14 to 17 of Romans 10. But let me quickly further review the verses that lead up to our verses tonight of 14 to 17. Let me review that we saw earlier, some weeks ago now, in Romans 10, 1 to 6, that there was in Israel a zeal without knowledge. There was a zeal without knowledge when Jesus Christ came on the scene. Jews had a zeal for religion without knowledge of the true God. And in Romans 10, 11 to 12, we learned there was salvation without partiality. God, in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 10 in Romans, taught the Jewish readership that God saves believers in his son without partiality. Jews don't have an inside track on salvation. Everyone who's saved comes through faith in Jesus Christ. God saves without national, ethnic, racial partiality. And here tonight in verses 14 to 17, the phrase that we're going to see tonight is there is hearing without hearing. Jewish people back then and Jewish people this evening hear without hearing. They hear without hearing. Now, persons up north build decks for outdoor enjoyment of the summer and spring months up north in Canada. I realize that we don't have wooden decks in the Bahamas. We have poured concrete patios or stone patios, but up north they build decks. And to build the deck up north, you need a blueprint, you need to buy the lumber, you need to nail it together, you need to stain it, and the result of all those processes will be a deck. There are certain stages similarly 
to a person getting saved. Just like there are stages to building a deck up in Canada for the summer, there are stages to a person being saved. And what are the stages? Number one, someone needs a preacher. See 15a, how shall they preach unless they are sent? Someone sends a preacher, that's the first stage. The second stage is someone has a preacher come to them. The end of verse 14, and how shall they hear without a preacher? The third stage about someone getting saved is someone hears about Christ from the preacher, still back in 14. And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And fourth stage in a person getting saved is someone believes in Christ, calls upon Christ for salvation. The first part of verse 14. How then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And so just like building a deck has certain stages, Someone gets saved in certain stages. Stage one, someone sends a preacher to them. Stage two, someone has a preacher come to them. Stage three, someone hears about Christ from the preacher. And stage four, someone believes in Christ or calls upon Christ for salvation. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I've been around the block. At this point in the sermon, when I keep using the term preacher, you're saying, oh, good, man, that's good. Let's me off the hook. I'm not a preacher. Really? You're not a preacher. You're still on the hook, brother or sister, because the Greek noun here, which is translated preacher, simply meant, watch this, one who heralds or proclaims and publishes. Guess what? You herald, proclaim, and publish what you believe about Jesus Christ Monday morning at your work, Wednesday evening at the soccer pitch, Thursday morning at the grocery store. You and I are constantly heralding or proclaiming or publishing something about Jesus because we belong to Jesus. And people know we belong to Jesus. We're the only Bible that some people will ever read. That's why we need to obey the laws of the land. That's why we need to be courteous neighbors. That's why we need to be polite young people. That's why we need to be diligent in our schoolwork. Because people know we belong to Christ. And because they do, in everyday activities, we are heralding Christ. We are proclaiming Christ. We are publishing Christ. You are a preacher. You herald Christ, where probably I will never get to herald Christ. I don't work where you work. I don't live where you live. I don't go to the soccer pitches you go to. I may go to the grocery stores you go to. It's funny. On uh, Christmas evening, we went to Super Value. We saw so many believers from our church. <laughs> I said, we should have a small group Bible study. And one of the sisters from the congregation said, yeah, we should take up an offering. <laughs> I love that. That's a good thought. You proclaim Jesus. You herald Jesus. You represent the gospel where I never will. You proclaim Jesus perhaps with even more clout than I do, since some people discount my heralding of the gospel because it's my livelihood. Oh, sure, he shares his faith in Jesus Christ. He's paid to do it. He's a hired hand. He's a professional evangelist. So when you share your faith verbally, it carries more clout because the person you share your faith with knows you're a layperson. You're not an ordained pastor. You publish the plan of salvation simply by living your Christian lives out in front of observers. Do you think that your neighbor 
for one year, two years, three years, 25 years, 50 years, do you think your neighbor doesn't notice when you go out on Sunday mornings to church? Do you think your neighbor doesn't notice when you come to Sunday evenings to church? They notice. They know you belong to Jesus. They know you belong not to a liberal church, but to a conservative church that believes the Bible. They know that. They know you go to a church, you belong to a church that believes Christ is the only way to heaven. Not a liberal church that says everybody gets to go there. They know that. They know what Calvary Bible Church stands for for 50 plus years. They're not stupid. So we better live with courtesy. We better live with kindness. We better live with love. And we better open our mouths and share the gospel. We don't want anybody at the end of many years being acquainted with us to say to us, do you believe I'm going to hell? And we say, yes, without Christ. And they say, why haven't you told me about him then? We don't want that. You have more clout when you preach the gospel and speak the gospel than me because people write me off and discount me as a hired gun. 2 Corinthians 3.2 calls every believer in Jesus a letter, which is known and read by people. Listen, 2 Corinthians 3.2, you are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, carried for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You and I are letters read of people that know us. Can't avoid it, can't deny it, can't wish it away. And so incredible body of Christ, who are my beloved brothers and sisters, in this sense, every single one of us publishes Christ 24-7, 365 Why? Back to verse 14. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And now we move into five questions for us to consider from the text. Question one, when did you believe in Christ for your salvation? Question two, how did you hear about Christ? Question three, humanly speaking, who was your preacher or herald? Four, humanly speaking, who sent you your preacher or herald? Number five, ultimately, who sent you your preacher and herald, and who gave that person the right words to give you? Ultimately, the one who sent you your preacher or herald of the gospel is the same one who gave that person the right words for you, God, the Holy Spirit. John 3 3 through 8 says, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's when a woman's water breaks before delivery, physical birth, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Born twice, die once from this morning. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Or John 6, 63. 
It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. That's Jesus speaking. Or John 16, 7 to 11, Jesus speaking. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Yes, ultimately, the one who sent to you a preacher is the same one who gave that preacher the right words to share with you, namely God the Holy Spirit. Still going on, Titus 3.5, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. So to state it again, every conversion is initiated by God the Holy Spirit. And spiritually dead people are totally incapable of spiritual self-resuscitation. Dead people can't give themselves life. Now, we can ask ourselves some questions pertaining to Israel, now that we've seen these theological backgrounds. Some questions pertaining to Israel back then and Israel still. Question one, can Israel be held responsible for her unbelief in Christ? Question two, did God the Holy Spirit initiate Israel's salvation? Question three, did God the Holy Spirit send a gospel preacher or herald to Israel? These are important questions. Let's take them one by one. Romans 10.15 says, And how shall they preach unless they are sent, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. This is a quote from Isaiah, who was prophet to Judah circa 700 BC, a quote of Isaiah 52, verse 7. Isaiah wrote these words in context, inspired of God, to warn the Jews back then in Judah that a lengthy deportation was looming, but they did not listen. They did not change. Isaiah predicted that the nation back then would fall into captivity in Babylon, and Isaiah also predicted that one day would come when Judah would be released from life in Babylon, and surely that was the glad tidings of good things referred to in Isaiah 52.7. And so Isaiah 52.7 is the glad news that eventually the displaced people of Judah in history would be allowed to return to Jerusalem. And the feet of the messengers with that message are called beautiful. The feet of the messengers with that hopeful message, you'll get out of Babylonian captivity, those feet are called beautiful. Now let me unpack this concept of beautiful feet because we are told that when we take the gospel to lost people, we too have beautiful feet. So what does this mean? Beautiful is the Greek word horeoi from the word hora which means the time of full bloom. Some of you have Christmas flowers that are designed to come into full bloom around the Christmas season. Beautiful feet are feet associated with a time of full blooming, both a blooming in beauty and a blooming in vigor. A blooming in beauty and a blooming in vigor. Now, what about these feet? What about these beautiful feet? Feet here means the rapid 
and the earnest and the persistent approach to lost people with the good news. Put together then that beautiful feet, listen, beautiful feet have blooming beauty and blooming vigor and they approach the lost rapidly, earnestly, and persistently. Is that you? When you look back on 2015, is that you? Have you had beautiful feet? Not because of a pedicure in some salon, ladies. Have you had beautiful feet? Have you had beautiful feet that have a blooming beauty, a blooming vigor in approaching the lost with the gospel rapidly, earnestly, and persistently? Do I have beautiful feet? They could be more beautiful, to be honest with you. It was Ron Blue from Dallas Seminary who said, without senders, there are no goers. The Bible is our sender. Go with beautiful feet. Don't wait to skywrite. Don't wait for an audible voice from heaven. It says in the word, take the gospel with beautiful feet to lost people. 15, and how shall he preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. The point that the Holy Spirit had Paul quote Isaiah 52, 7 within Romans 10, 15 is this. Now, here it is. Don't miss it. Just as messengers of the Old Testament times published good news to Israel concerning the coming end of their captivity, so messengers of the New Testament times were sent to Israel to announce the good news of the offer of salvation in Christ. See the parallel? Just as 700 years before Christ, beautiful feet went, took the good news, you're going to get out of captivity someday. So at the time of the writing of the New Testament, beautiful feet took the message that they can be saved through faith in Christ to Jewish people. And who exactly were the New Testament times messengers who were sent from God to the Jews? John the Baptist, Matthew 3, 1 to 10. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, that is, Jews were going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, poisonous snakes, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees, and therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John had insight from the Holy Spirit that these guys were faking repentance to do espionage, gathering of information about what John was doing in the Jordan River. He called them poisonous snakes who came to the Jews with the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ's message, John the Baptist did. Secondly, the Lord Jesus Christ came to them, of course. In Matthew 15, 21 to 24, listen. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from the region came out and began to cry out, saying, have mercy on 
on me, Lord, son of David. She was a Gentile. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus was saying, at that initial stage of his public ministry, his first priority was to get the good news that salvation was through him, Messiah, to the Jews. Eventually, he would get it to the Gentiles. Who brought the hope of salvation and the message of salvation to the Jews of the Old Testament and New Testament, or the New Testament time? John the Baptist did. The Lord Jesus Christ did. And there were witnesses of the resurrected Jesus who did as well. We call them the apostles. In Acts chapter 1, we have the definition of an apostle. I kind of smile when I see these guys on television who call themselves apostles. Jesus speaking before the ascension, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, that's Jewish, in all Judea, that's Jewish, in Samaria, that's Gentile, and even to the remotest parts of the earth, that's Gentile. And then the definition of an apostle, they had to replace Judas Iscariot, who hung himself and betrayed Jesus, and they said, when they were looking for an apostle to replace Judas, it is there, verse 21, is therefore necessary that one of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, watch, one of these should become a witness with us of the resurrection. To be an apostle biblically is to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. We do not have apostles today. We do not have apostles today. Apostles are foundational to the church of Jesus Christ, but they do not exist today. I'm sorry, gentlemen. Who brought the message of salvation being through grace and faith in Jesus Christ? John the Baptist did. The Lord Jesus Christ himself did. The witnesses of the resurrected Jesus, also called the apostles, did. And in the light of all this, can Israel be held responsible for her unbelief in Christ? Oh, yes. Absolutely. And did God the Holy Spirit initiate Israel's salvation? Did he make it possible for Jews to be saved? Absolutely, he did. Christ died for the ungodly, whether they were Jewish or Gentile. Salvation was as possible for Jews as Gentiles. And did God the Holy Spirit send good news preachers and heralds to Israel? Yes, he did. I've just cited three of them. And so the preachers and the heralds were sent to Israel, verse 15. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And preachers and heralds did come to preach, the last part of verse 14. And how shall they hear without a preacher? But the majority of Israel did not actually hear what they heard. That's an odd paradox. They did not actually hear what they heard. I see that in verse 14. How then shall they call upon whom, him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? Did that mean they never were told? No, that meant they were told and they really didn't hear. And how shall they hear without a preacher? 16a, however, they did not all heed the glad tidings. So they heard, but they didn't hear. The danger of being a Christian in a strong Bible-believing church and a strong Bible-preaching church for all the 50 years of this local assembly, there's been strong Bible teaching. The danger of that 
is that we would hear without hearing. We'd hear without it moving from our ears and our brains to our hearts and our hands and our feet. If we hear without hearing, we are like the piece of cornbread set in the saucer of buttermilk on the front porch of the home in Alabama. It will sit, it will soak, and it will sour. If we hear God's word and don't really hear God's word so it changes us, we are going to smell like cornbread in buttermilk in the summer. Additionally, verse 16 highlights that this hearing without hearing was predicted some 700 years earlier before Christ was born. Listen to what it was predicted in Isaiah 53.1 that I read this morning before the Lord's Supper. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Essentially, the prophet Isaiah predicted that hardly any Jews would believe that this man, Jesus, was Messiah. And Isaiah was predicting for our day and time that hardly any Jews would believe that this man, Jesus, is the Messiah. Does that mean we stop and give up on Jews? No. We share the faith especially with the Jews, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And of course, as history has played out, Isaiah's prophecy prediction is absolutely correct. Listen to first chapter of John 11 to 13. And Jesus, and he came to his own, that's the Jews, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So let me summarize. Who is to blame for Israel's unbelief in Jesus Christ, God or Israel themselves? Verse 17 makes it very clear. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Who is to blame for Israel's unbelief in Jesus Christ, God or Israel? Israel is to blame for her own national and personal unbelief in Jesus Christ. Because... The word about Jesus Christ has been delivered to the Jews. And because, whereas hearing about Christ was possible, the Jews refused to really hear about him. They heard, but they didn't hear. God deliver us from that. Now, wrapping this up, who is to blame for Israel's rejection of Jesus Christ? I-S-R-A-E-L, not G-O-D. And so human responsibility lives in the courtroom of heaven, which is the only courtroom that matters. Human responsibility lives. Human responsibility will always live where it matters most, in the courtroom of heaven, at the great white throne judgment we talked about this morning. Human responsibility lives. So whether you're Jewish or Gentile, I didn't get around to believing in Jesus because I was busy working, won't cut it. Or I rejected Christ as Savior because of the TV preachers who only wanted my money, it won't cut it. Who will be to blame 
if a person gets to the great white throne judgment having never trusted Jesus Christ alone to be their Savior, who will be to blame? They will be to blame. They will be to blame. Israel is to blame for Israel's rejection of Christ because Israel took the root of hearing without hearing. The blame for rejection of salvation is placed nowhere else by the courtroom of heaven. Now let me hasten to say there are Jewish people around the world today who have trusted Yeshua Messiah to be their Savior. There are Jewish people who are hearing while hearing about the gospel about Jesus. They're becoming believers. There are messianic synagogues and temples all around the world. Praise God for that. And we should give and we should pray and we should go with the gospel to Jewish people. God has not written off Jewish people and we must never write them off. Jews are being saved in this church age. And Jews will be saved in the future seven years of tribulation, but they will die a martyr's death. We know that at least 144,000 Jews will be saved in the tribulation. That's not Jehovah's Witnesses. That's Jews who come to faith in Yeshua Messiah in the tribulation. God will see to it that there is a saved remnant within his chosen people, the Jews. Please stand with me. Shall we pray? Holy and redeeming God, you have given us your Son who is worthy of our belief. You have also granted to us the Scripture and the people who proclaim it, some from pulpits, but the most from everyday living. Lord, may no one who is in the sound of my voice blame shift and duck their responsibility to respond to Christ, trusting him only as their sin remedy. And further, Lord, may no one who is saved ignore or explain away their responsibility to be vocal about their Savior and his plan of salvation. Lord, please give us beautiful feet, lives blooming in beauty and in vigor, delivering the gospel to lost sinners with rapidity, earnestness, and perseverance. Holy God, we want you to be glorified. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Let it be so. Let it be so. We are dismissed with the blessing of our Lord. Thank you for your attention to God's word tonight.